Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. I get these uh, texts from a missionary in India. Maybe you do too. There's just tremendous things going on in India for our Lord, evangelistic things. And uh, just thousands of people coming to Christ, they are under tremendous, uh, tremendous persecution in India, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as a result, uh, the church always thrives under persecution. When we're living on easy street, <laughs> uh, not much happens. So I hope you don't picture Christ and God and his work by an American point of view, because there's places where God is just working mightily. Just just thousands of people being swept into the kingdom of God. And uh, so we, we praise the Lord for that. And they're, they're under a lot of persecution in India because of the Hindus and others. But he sends me these updates on all these revival meetings and crusades they're having and all the people. And the other day, in in one of his updates, he, he put he put the little... Uh, he put a little saying in his update that said, and so much the more in 2024. And I said, I know where that comes from. And it's in Hebrews chapter number 10. And uh, it's one of the statements that we read here in uh, verse number 25, where it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and, and here it is, and so much the more. And so much the more as you see the day uh, approaching. And so much the more. And going back to verse 22, there's a bunch of things that God tells us that we should do. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so I just want to speak on that this first Sunday of the year. Not, it's not so much a theme for our church. I'm not the pastor anymore, but, but uh, it, it just kind of stuck out that that would be a, a, certainly a good motto to live by, and so much the more in 2024. And uh, it's also scriptural, as we, as we see here, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to dig apart this uh, portion of scripture here and learn some things, hopefully practically, uh, as we can. We, uh, as believers, every century of believers in Jesus Christ thought that Christ was going to come in their day. And uh, the Bible is written in such a way that we should think that. I really think Paul, by the spirit of some of the writings he wrote, thought Christ was going to come in his day. Um, and it's supposed to be that way. Uh, I had a book one time, and I gave it away. I kicked myself for that. But I had a book one time that uh, recorded the histories of uh, early church fathers, and they just had quotes from every century. Every century, the first century, second century, third century, fourth century, there were quotes from Christian fathers and believers in those centuries who said they expected Christ to return in their day. They expected the Lord in the first century, second century, 10th century, 11th century, whatever. They all thought the same thing. And we have taught the same thing because I believe it's scriptural that we preach the imminence of Christ's return, that it could come at any time. In fact, in fact, our Lord taught us that, that we should uh, be awake and not let that day take us unawares. Now, because of that, 
there are those in the world who think that we've been crying wolf long enough. And if you turn over a couple pages to 2 Peter and towards the back of your Bible, and then we'll go right back to Hebrews, they also become a prophecy in themselves. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And so this 2,000 years of preaching the imminence of Christ's return in every century has produced some scoffers who say, where is the promise? We keep hearing this over and over again like the old fable of crying wolf. And uh, they say in their scoffing, in uh, verse uh, number four, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now that is not true. There are different things that are happening today in this day and age that have never happened before. And so as we go back to Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 25, it tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another strongly, urging one another. And so much the more, notice it ends with these words, as ye see the day approaching. As ye see the day approaching. This is talking about the day of the Lord. This is talking about the great day. Uh, The day of the Lord begins and never ends. It's one eternal day. Sometimes the word day in the scriptures does not refer to a 24-hour period. And we use that in our own language. I mean, if I said to you today something like, uh, well, back in Ronald Reagan's day, you would know I was not referring to a 24-hour period. You know, I would be referring perhaps to the eight years when he was our president. And the great day or the day of the Lord begins, we believe, with an event that has been called the rapture, or more accurately is called in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, us being caught up to be with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then all kinds of things begin to happen especially if you study the book of Revelation from chapter three or chapter 4, rather, and on, which is described as the things which must come hereafter. And so the day of the Lord is going to be one long eternal day, and uh, it will uh, culminate in his 1,000-year rule and reign on this present earth and then into eternity. And, uh, but the day of the Lord... Uh, I believe, begins with an event, uh, an event that happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so it's kind of hard to prepare for a twinkling in the eye. So I would suggest you prepare now. And uh, make sure you are in Christ. Make sure you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God, and and what he did when he died for us on the cross at Calvary for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again, 
and he is alive uh, forevermore. And he did that for you and me individually, and you must believe in it personally. Your parents can't do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. Uh, Your brother or sister can't do it for you. There has to be a personal relationship you have with God through his son, Jesus Christ, by your own faith in Christ, your own day of salvation when you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this tells us at the end of verse 25 that it must be possible to see the day approaching, or otherwise God would not have put that in his word. He would not say, hey, look, you need to really get with it, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, if we could not see the day approaching. So we got to look for the day approaching. We got approaching, we got to study. It'd be good to study some prophecy, good to study the signs of the times. Uh, and there's so many of them in the scriptures. Um, in Psalm 74 and verse 9, the, the woeful history of Israel is recorded in these words, we see not our signs. And uh, boy, that was cataclysmic for them. Uh, God gave them so many signs of who their Messiah would be, the anointed one, the Christ, and, and Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of them, and they missed it all, they missed it all. And it's a dangerous thing to miss a sign. Uh, As I've illustrated before, if you're going down the road 55 miles an hour and there's this red octagon on the side of the road with big white letters, S-T-O-P, and you miss that sign, that may be cataclysmic for you. That might not be good. Uh, But if you see your signs, there's some safety in that. And you say, I better stop uh, at this red sign right here. And it's the same thing with the signs of the times and the signs that are in the Bible. They are written in there so that we could study them and uh, you know, not get fascinated with them, not get sensational, but to get spiritual and uh, to realize, hey, our Lord may come. Now, I'm going to give you just a few signs, and then we'll come back to our subject, uh, which this morning is, and so much the more, and so much the more. That's our subject today. But I want to look at the last statement for a few moments here, where it says, as ye see the day approaching. As ye see the day approaching. I believe all these people down through the centuries were correct in looking for Christ's second coming, his return in their day. I believe the Bible taught them to do that. But I believe as we live in this day and age that we have now begun to see some things that no other century ever saw before that would indicate to us uh, that the day is approaching, that the day is approaching. And I want to cover these, and, and I've gone over these with, with many of you before, so it won't be anything new, but, but here's a couple that I would like to bring to your attention that no brothers or sisters in Christ down through the centuries have ever seen besides us. One, of course, is the regathering of Israel into their own land. That is something that is prophesied by prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet in the Old Testament 
and the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Luke 21 and verse 24. That there would be a dispersion, a scattering of all the Jews all over the world, every country in the world. And that someday God would regather them back in their land. It's a phenomenal uh, prophecy that we are seeing in our day only. No one else has ever seen it. Um, one of the prophets, they talked about the dispersion. That began, boy, about 800 years before Christ when the Assyrians took the northern kingdom Israel into Assyria. Some of them were dispersed. Then later, about 500 before Christ, the Babylonians came and took Judah and Jerusalem into captivity in three different waves. And then after 70 years, about 50,000 of them came back from Babylon, rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. And it, it kind of stood like that until the renovation of Herod, uh, about 46 years before Christ, and he renovated the temple. And then Jesus came to the temple, as Malachi, the prophet, would say, suddenly he would come to the temple. And that's one of those signs the Jews missed. But as Jesus was carrying up his cross to Calvary's hill, a bunch of ladies were around crying and weeping for him. And he turned to those ladies and said, don't weep for me. He said, weep for your children. He said, you wouldn't believe what's going to happen to them pretty soon. And he died on that cross, was buried and rose again, walked the earth for about 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. And then 40 years later, the Roman Empire, in squelching the Jewish rebellion in Israel, came to Jerusalem. And under the leadership of Titus the emperor, they raised, R-A-Z-E-D, they raised the whole city of Jerusalem and the temple and burned it to the ground. And there's never been a temple since 70 A.D. That's a long time ago. Uh, Jesus had said, you know, you see all these buildings here? He says, there's not going to be a stone left upon another um, that shall not be torn down. And when the Romans came through 40 years after he said that, they raised the city so that there was not one single stone left upon another on that porch that's built on the side of Mount Moriah. And you can go... You can Google that this afternoon. Uh, just put Mount Moriah or, or Jerusalem, the old city or something. The only thing on there now are two Muslim mosques that were built later in the 1200s. But there hasn't been a rock, there hasn't been a stone upon a stone uh, since 70 AD, just like Jesus said. If Jesus says something, it's going to happen. If he says, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, you're finished. You're finished. And you look up Chorazah, Bethsaida, and, and uh, Capernaum on your internet for pictures, and there's hardly a blade of grass even growing in those cities, which were, which were dynamic cities during the time of Christ. Nobody lives there. Anything Jesus says prophetically is true. It's going to happen. And anything he says about any other subject is true. And you can live by it. And he gave us prophecy so that we would believe. Uh, he said in John chapter number uh, 13 and verse 19, he says, Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. 
See, the spirit of testimony, the, the, the spirit of Jesus is the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I don't know about you, but I want a God who can tell me about the future. I want a God who can tell me exactly how this thing is going to end. And he said, I tell you before that come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe. That's the purpose of prophecy, is to build your faith, that you may believe. In John 14, 29, he said, and now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, ye might believe. That's the purpose of prophecy. That's the purpose of the whole Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. And prophecy is supposed to build our faith, and faith is supposed to produce works, words, and wonders. You can't fake faith. And if you don't have faith that's producing works in your life, and words to others that are affecting them, and, and wonders in your life, then get into the Word of God. And faith will come by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And hear as much preaching as you can, teaching as you can, good preaching and good teaching. And, and read maybe good books. You've got to be careful, but read good books. They'll, they'll help your faith about the Bible. And so the Lord said he was going to disperse. And so in 70 AD was when the real final dispersion took place. After Jerusalem was burned to the ground. And the Jews, it says, went into every single country there is on earth. Dispersed them. And you would think, well, that's it for them. That's it for their history, except for the fact that God is there. And, and God made an everlasting covenant with them that he repeated over and over and over again. It wouldn't be everlasting if it ended. And so amazingly, miraculously, like nothing else, anyone else can compare to it. He also sent us prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. For instance, Isaiah 54, verse 7, Ezekiel 11, verse 17, Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 5, Hosea, and, and, and other prophets who said there would be a regathering today. In uh, Ezekiel 34, in verse 13, he said, And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. This is Ezekiel writing while he's a prisoner in Babylon. And the dispersion hadn't completely taken place yet. But he says, God says, I'm going to get them from every single country and I'm going to bring them back into their own land. And lo and behold, we're living in the day when we see that. Did you know back in 1880, 1880, 25,000 Jews lived in Israel? That's less than half the size of Hamburg. 25,000 Jews lived in Israel in 1880. That's the days of Spurgeon and Moody. They, never, they didn't know anything about the regathering. They never saw it. Today, over 7 million Jews live in the land of Israel. And most of that has happened since 1948 when they became a country again. And they are leaving places like America and France and other places where they have been welcomed. And they're, they're, they're just going by the droves back to Israel. They can't build homes fast enough for the Jews that are going back there. And it's happening. Why? Because God is up to something. That's why. And he's up to the salvation of their souls. 
There's coming a time on earth, a seven-year tribulation, that's called in the book uh, of, uh, it's called Jacob's trouble in the book of Jeremiah. The time of Jacob, Israel's trouble. The very first time tribulation's ever mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 4 was 1,491 years before Christ. And God said to Israel, when thou art in tribulation in the last days. It's the first mention of tribulation ever in the Bible. See, God had this thing all planned. The whole thing's going to, according to his plan. He's bringing them back, and, 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 and we're seeing 7 million, and there's about 15, 14 to 15 million more are going back, and more are going back right in front of our eyes. It's an absolute phenomenon. Let's not be like the Jews and miss our signs. This is happening. You, you, can't, you, you can't avoid it that, that God is at work and he's setting up something very soon. Time of tribulation. Look at Daniel chapter number 12. Daniel chapter number 12. I love this little... text here. Daniel is a, was a difficult book to understand, but it's, 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 a, it's almost like a parallel book to the book of Revelation, some of the stuff. And it was a sealed book. It was a sealed book. And I want you to notice in verse number four, at the end of his prophecy, Daniel is told by God to write this, verse four, but thou, O Daniel, Shut up the words and seal the book when? Unto the time of the end. Look at verse 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And what that means is they're closed up and sealed. In other words, people generally, it means, would not understand the book of Daniel until the time of the end. But now there are commentaries all over the place on the book of Daniel. Where line by line and, and word by word, there is an explanation of what the book means. Like Clarence Larkin, maybe he wrote the first one, I don't know, a tremendous book on uh, the book of Daniel. And we understand it. And because we understand the book of Daniel, then there's a statement in verse 4 and a statement in verse 9 that, that should perk our attention. It says, the time of the end. You'll be able to understand this. This book will be unsealed in the time of the end. Now here's an interesting verse in that prophecy. As it tells us here in uh, about uh, the end times. They, verse 3, that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, you and I ought to focus on soul winning, on winning people to Christ. Uh, the Bible promises that a whole bunch of people will get saved in the last days. Verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So there's going to be many who will be purified in the last days. Let's believe that by faith and act upon it. Well, that just makes common sense mathematically because there's 8 billion people on earth. Uh, we would expect more. Uh, there was only 2.5 billion on earth when I was born. There was only a, like 100 million people on earth when Christ was around. 
And population statistics uh, go back to the beginning of man only being about 4,000, 4,500 years ago. That's a hard one for evolutionists to explain. Uh, Population statistics. But I want you to notice verse 4. It says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. And then it says this, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Many shall run to and fro. That phrase, to and fro, refers to travel. One time in the book of Job, God asked the devil, where you been? And he said this answer. He said, from running, from running to and fro throughout the earth. Travel. Travel. Trains were invented in 1830. The car was invented in 1886. The plane was invented in 1914. I mean, this is when the, the first commercial train, uh, passenger train rides started to take place, and train rides and plane rides, and, of course, cars. Carl Benz. Some of you heard of Mercedes Benz. Carl Benz made the first car in 1886. That means, if if my statistics are right, 97% of human history, there have been no trains. 97.7% of human history, there have been no cars. 98.2% of history, there have been no planes. See, only a couple percentages, 2 to 3% of the human race has ever heard of such a thing as trains, planes, or automobiles. And Daniel says, in the last days, there's going to be a sign that you need to look for. And it says, many shall run to and fro. Many shall run to and fro. I I got this off of a transportation site yesterday. It says this, quote, at any given amount of time, there are approximately 9,700 commercial airplanes in the sky carrying about 1.2 million people. Sounds like many shall run to and fro. Right now, while we're sitting here, there's 1.2 million human beings up in the sky somewhere on an airplane. No generation ever saw this until us. And then it says, knowledge shall be increased. (laughs) Do I even have to explain that? Knowledge shall be increased. That's what Daniel said. God said, seal up the book. Daniel, just stop writing. But when the time of the end has come, people are going to be traveling all over the place and knowledge is going to be increased. Man alive, you can almost find anything on the internet that you're looking for, even the craziest things. You know, I was looking for vinyl letters the other day. All these websites come up on vinyl letters for stick-ons, for signs, you know. So... Who assembled that? You can find just about anything you want. Fix anything you want. Uh, It's on the internet. In uh, Revelation chapter 11, if you turn there, I know some of you have been studying Revelation. There's a dear brother here today who gave me 271 pages of notes on the book of Revelation this week. Say, could you read this? 
Yeah, I got a lot of time. It's just, just great stuff what he wrote, great stuff. I'm, I'm glad there's Bible students still in this day and age. Praise the Lord. Amen. In Revelation chapter number 11, it says that there's going to be two prophets and they are going to preach for three and a half years and then nobody's going to, not many people are going to really like what they preach and then they're going to kill them. And you know, some of you know this prophecy. It says in verse 9 of Revelation 11, and they of the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days. Now, can you imagine trying to explain that 50 years ago, that verse of Scripture? Try to explain that 100 years ago. Try to explain that 200 years ago or 300 years ago. In fact, skeptics would have had a blast with you 200 or 300 or 500 years ago saying, how is this true? You believe the Bible is true? The Bible says two dead bodies are going to be laying in Jerusalem and everybody on earth is going to see them? How would you explain that if you were a believer 300 years ago or 500 years ago? We don't have any problem today. We don't have any problem today at all, do we? And we carry it around on a phone. You can look at things live all over the world. And then it says they're going to be so happy that they're going to all send each other gifts and be merry. You can take the same cell phone, push a couple buttons, and send somebody a gift. And that's right there in the book of Revelation. You see, I'm saying to you today, as you see the day approaching, we're seeing things today no other believers have ever seen before. Ever. I had quite a revelation here yesterday. I was scanning Fox News. Now, in Revelation 13, we begin to be introduced ten times to a man called the Antichrist, but it talks about him this way, the image of the beast. Ten times it says the image of the beast, the image of the beast, the image of the beast, the image of the beast. Don't say the beast, it says the image of the beast. And uh, there's uh, one verse, here's one, Revelation 13, 15. Let me count it for you. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Notice three times in one verse, the image of the beast. Three out of the ten times, one verse. This image of the beast, not the beast, but this image of the beast, is going to both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So I'm looking at Fox News yesterday, and uh, I, I flipped a picture of this news item here, and you can't see it. I'll read it to you, okay? You can't see it, but you can see it later. It says this, Elvis Presley to return to stage as AI hologram in London. All right? I need my glasses for the rest of it. Immersive tech powered experience is slated to take place in London this November. Elvis is back. 
because of what we call artificial intelligence or what they call a hologram. Now, if you've ever seen holograms, I don't know how they do it, but they send an image through the sky and the image then fragments and gets put back together. And, and I used to be in cryptographic equipment and we, we kind of did the same thing with sound waves back in the 70s so that you could put a person right here who would look exactly like that person and you would think that was that person. And it's speaking and singing and everything else. They've already had them around and there are just study holograms on the internet and you'll actually see images. Elvis Presley is not coming to London in November. The image of Elvis is. The image of Elvis is. Okay? And boy, they're getting excited about that. And they can make images of people exactly like that person is talking and everything you think they're alive. I, I remember a rock concert. I saw a rock concert once where the rock concert, and three seconds later, the same rock band was playing halfway around the world on a stage, and people thought they were human beings on stage. Holograms. I don't know if it's going to be holograms, robotics, or what, but the Bible says everybody on earth is going to have to worship the image of the beast during the tribulation period or be killed. By that time, the technology may be so great they could put an image in Eden, an image in North Collins, an image in Gowanda, an image in Perrysburg, an image in Forestville, an image in Dayton. And they would say, now all the village people, you all got to come out and worship the beast, the image of the beast, the Antichrist or whatever they're going to call him. And if you see anyone from town who doesn't show up, let us know so we can kill them or arrest them or whatever they're going to do. Can you see that? Can you see that happening? See they couldn't see that 100 years ago. They couldn't see that 200 years ago. And I can go on and on and on here, but our time's almost done. As you see the day approaching, as you see the day approaching, if we don't see the day approaching, we're not looking. We're distracted or delusional, but we're not looking. The day is approaching. And so what did our text tell us in closing to do in the light of that? And so much the more. And so much the more. It's not the time to get scared. It's not the time to get uh, clam up, say there's nothing we can do. No, Daniel said there's a lot we can do. Many shall be turned to righteousness. Amen. So back in our text in closing, here's a few things it tells us to do. Verse 24, let us consider one another. All right, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider one another. You and I need to be considerate to the body of Christ, to our brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. We need to consider one another. Uh, we need to get each other in our hearts. We need to quit being plastic and fake, and use all the Baptist cliches that we've learned and start considering people and thinking about people and feeling about people. I encourage you a few months ago, do this. This will help you. I'm telling you, this will help you. Get a notebook. Meet somebody at church you don't know. Go home. Write their name in your notebook. 
Close the door on your bedroom someday or wherever you pray, like Jesus taught us. Kneel down. Lift up that name to heaven. Pray for what little you might know about that person. I don't know this person, but I know they come to church. Maybe you learn things about that person. You can pray for them. Let us consider one another. Buy a notebook tomorrow. Buy a notebook. Meet somebody you don't know. Put their name in there. I added two names this week. Two men were in church Wednesday night. I never met before. I got to lead one of them to Christ Wednesday night. Right here in this room. Now, as I was going through the gospel with him, he knew it all, so I kind of wonder if he was already saved. And some of our church members had been ministering to him. Amen. I never met him. So I asked him if he was saved or not. Did he know what that means? And he said, I don't know what that means. And so I explained it to him, and we prayed, and he trusted in the Lord as his Savior, and, and that was wonderful, but he may have known the Lord earlier and needed assurance. I don't know. Another man was here. I put his name, and I'll be able to pray for those men now. And whether they ever come back to church or not, I'll be able to lift up their names to heaven. Buy a notebook. Write the names down of these little boys and girls you see running off the walls and write their names in there. Write families. Just write names. Consider one another. Then it says provoke one another to love. There's a lot of provoking today in this world to hatred. This world knows how to provoke hatred. How to provoke bigotry. How to provoke uh, a prejudice. Man, this world is good at provoking anger. But we need to provoke each other to love, and, and so much the more. The world's going to get harder and harder and harder, but we don't have to be like the world. We can have more love for brothers and sisters and provoke each other to love and encourage each other. You know what? Why don't you, why don't you forgive that person? Why don't you be merciful to that person? Why don't you love that person? Why don't you pray for that person to be saved? And why don't you minister to that person? Why don't you do something for them? Provoke each other to love and good works. God has a work for every one of us. That's number three. Number three, provoke one another to love and good works. Every one of you, there's a work God has for you to do. Without exception. There's not an exception in this room. I don't care what your age is. There's something for you to do for God. In the church, in your neighborhood, in your school, at your place of business. God wants you to be the man of God, the woman of God in that place. And, and there's, there's a ministry in the church. There's a gift everyone has. There's no such thing as a person being saved who doesn't receive some spiritual gift that they are supposed to use inside of their local church. And we're supposed to provoke each other. Come on, let's get with it. Work. Jesus said in John 9, 4, Work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. Get with it, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And then the last thing it talks about is fellowship. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The word church and assemble is synonymous. The word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means to assemble together. There's no such thing as a church without assembling. We are supposed to assemble. We need each other. As I said, things are going to get worse and people are going to get worse. 
according to the prophecies of the scripture. Sometimes people say, well, it's got to get better. No, it's going to get worse. Things, not all things. There's a lot of great things to still enjoy in life, isn't there? Amen? Not all people. There's still a lot of good people. But boy, evil seducers show acts worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And you read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and what people are going to be like in the last days. And it is not pretty. It's not pretty. Lovers of their own selves. Jesus said, and many shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And, and, and shall, um, well, I'm, I'm misquoting it in Matthew 24, 12. But he, he talks about how it's not going to be good. That's, that's, you can write down the woke generation right, now, right, right next to Matthew 24, 12. Jesus predicted this. And we're going to need each other a whole lot more. Time's running out. I don't know about freedom. But there's some people that are really trying in a very organized way to take away our freedoms in this country. This is a very important year for our country, elections and all, but things are going to get worse. People are going to get worse. We're going to need each other more. So I, I want to just close by saying this about fellowship in verse 25. Come to church. Come to church more. If you don't come to Sunday school, 10 o'clock, give it a try. We haven't had anyone drop dead yet in Sunday school. If you've never been back Sunday night, 6 o'clock, it's an hour, hour and 15 minutes, whatever, give that a try. It's totally different. Different songs, different sermon, different truth. You get more time to fellowship people. You can't drive people out of here on Sunday nights. Uh, they're here forever. Uh, you know, when church is over 7, 15 or whatever, they're still here at 9. Having fellowship. Sometimes my wife and I, we just walk out. I'm not the pastor anymore. Someone else lock up. And uh, can you come back Sunday night? How about Wednesday nights? Give it a try. I mean, just, just come when you can. I have this number in my Bible. I have it pasted here. It, it's, it's probably, this number has probably more profoundly affected me than any other number in my life. It's 168. Can you read it from there? I don't know if you can read it from there. I have that pasted right in my Bible. You know what that number is? That's the number of hours in a week. That's 24 hours a day multiplied by seven days a week. The 168 hours. This church is open five, six hours a week maybe for services. What is that? What is that? Jesus said, you know, that obedience is the way we show our love. There's a lot of ways we show love, but one is obedience. And he told us, look, when you see these things, the day approaching, so much the more. Think about God's people. Provoke them to love. Provoke them to good works. Fellowship with them. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much the more. Be different this year. Be different this year. You'll make it. God will give you grace. God will give you grace to go to church for four hours or five hours or something. I mean, 
And you'll still have plenty of time to do everything else, I promise you. I promise you, you can get a lot done in a week with all those hours and be good stewards of your time. But uh, what is 317 here? I got a song up here. And um, that's not my song book. All right, how about, uh, how about uh, work for the day is coming? Work for the night is coming. Work for the night is coming. Can, can, can we sing that? Is that, uh, and why not, can you, can you spend a little time in prayer this morning? 639, I like the one preacher who said, I didn't come to get out, I came to get in. He said, I, I came to church to get in, man. Not to get out of here as soon as I could. I like that attitude, Amen. Um, how about you? So much the more in 2024. Can you do more? We, we, I think we all can this next year uh, for Jesus Christ. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We've seen some of his commandments today. John 14, 15. A couple of verses later, he said this, John 14, 23. If you love me, keep my sayings. Keep my sayings. This is the word of the Lord today. The word of the Lord. Let's keep his sayings this year. And so much the more as you see the day approaching.